Before we even kick off the podcast, I just want to remind everyone to go like, subscribe, and keep up with these weekly episodes. If you like what you hear, spread the word so more coaches can tune in for our weekly podcasts. All right, here we go. The Hog Football Podcast is brought to you by GameStrat. GameStrat is the number one sideline replay choice for the top football programs in the country. Their system is extremely reliable, easy to set up and use, and they also have the best customer service in the industry. Go to GameStrat.com to learn why more coaches keep switching to GameStrat for their sideline replay system. That's GameStrat.com. G-A-M-E-S-T-R-A-T.com. Before we move on, let's talk about the fastest growing sports team software, All In Team Sports, and how it's helping coaches save time while streamlining their communication, scheduling, and so much more. It's no surprise that coaches are always looking for ways to increase efficiency and save time. That's why this software is so great. It offers coaches all the features they need to manage their teams, from player nutrition and health goals to in-app awards, document sharing, and a team feed that immediately boosts player engagement. This software makes it easy for coaches to stay organized and help their teams succeed. The software also allows coaches to set up a variety of different activities and tasks. For example, coaches can create a schedule for their team, assign tasks to individual players, and even create custom messages for specific groups or individuals. This allows coaches to quickly communicate with their players and keep track of their progress. Plus, the software also allows coaches to create and manage sports-specific activities such as drills and practices. And for all the football coaches out there, they have a video system that is built to work with Huddle that is top-notch. You can sign up today using using code HOGFOOTBALLCHAT to get 75 days entirely free. And I promise it will be an app that will replace all others on your phone. Check them out by going to allinteamsports.com or give them a follow on Twitter at allinteamsports. Hi, I'm Coach Tony Schiffman, and welcome to the Hog Football Podcast, where we talk all things football and all things offensive line. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Hog Football Podcast. Today I've got with me Coach Justin Dottavio. Uh Coach Dottavio is currently a uh, private strength and conditioning coach. Um, he helps with athletic performance for males, females um, of all sports, um, which is an awesome thing, which we're going to talk about a little bit today. Um, but he's also been a football coach. He's coached uh, all over the South, North Carolina, uh, in Florida. Um, and he's done it all. He's been a head coach. He's been a coordinator. He's coached the offensive line. He's coached varsity. He's coached junior varsity. He's coached freshman. Um, he, he's like I said, he's done it all. So we're going to have a good time talking with coach today and, uh, welcome to the podcast coach. How's it going? Great. As we talked about before I'm sitting outside, uh, <laughs> it's about 78 degrees and pretty sunny. Not too bad. Yeah, and and I told you I'm going through an ice storm right now, so I uh, I appreciate you rubbing that in, Coach. That's, <laughs> thank you. Um, well, like I said, we're we're gonna you know we're gonna talk some football things, but we're gonna talk some things outside of football. So uh, my first question for you is is, is football related. Um, talk to me about how the offensive line played a part um, on some of the more successful teams that you were a coach on. Oh yeah, well, and I'll say this to start. I believe the most important position on the field is the center. So to me, if there was ever a successful team, the center was the the the, the main 
it was the engine of the race car, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And so to me, I mean, that's just you can't start the play without him on offense. Um, and I don't care. I, I, I've you know played in a, or coached in a game or two where there's been you know a, a quote unquote bad center based on typically snapping the ball, and a quarterback's made up for it, but it's really rare, yeah. right? Like it takes it takes the rare athlete to overcome ball shooting over his head or balls bowled on the ground every play or the majority of plays for them to do well. So at pretty much every time I've ever been around success, you can look back and you could say, damn, we had a really good center that year. You know, 2015 at the charter school, we had a really good center. They had a really good center in Oregon the year after I left going into the fall. Um, you know, I was coaching the offensive line there before mm-hmm. we had a good one and then it became a great one. Right. Right. Um, you know, when when I was at Broughton and, and we had, you know, the most wins there in a little circle for the last 10 years or so, um, for the two years I was there, the center was one of the best players on the team. So to me, and that, and that you know, and then even at the middle school where I sort of unretired to help out the, the athletic department because the guy quit the week before the season. Right. Um, one of our better players was the center and he was awesome at it. And I think he had one single bad snap that wasn't knees to, to numbers the entire little middle school season. And he obviously hadn't played in, you know, over a year because right. of COVID. So, right. and, and he just came in, he really adopted the dead snap and got into it. And so to me, it was every time it was at least center-based, if not offensive line, you know, based stuff all the way back to my first year coaching. Right. Well, I appreciate it. I was a former center, so I uh, I definitely appreciate those comments about the center being the uh, the best player on the team. So I, I, uh, I, I'll, I'll make sure next time I talk to some of my buddies, I'll remind them about that too. So. Yeah, I was a center too, so maybe I'm biased, but there I don't you go. Think nice. I am. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah, good. Um, well, you know, you've got in looking at your your resume, looking at some of the things you've done, it's it's very eye opening. And the thing that really caught my attention was in all the time you've been teaching, coaching, uh, you've got 20 plus years as a strength and conditioning coach. Let's talk a little bit about kind of why strength and conditioning why why movement why why performance um what caught your eye with that and why you've stayed in in that you know because obviously football sort of taken the back seat a couple times and and you're not always coached football but you've always been strength and conditioning so let's talk about sort of why why strength and conditioning and why it's you've stuck with it for for 20 plus years Oh man, so it would probably be a couple different prongs. Uh, my dad was one of the you know whew, old school, bigger, faster, stronger guys from forever ago. Okay, uh, and I'm talking about like 1992, three somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, probably before that, it's probably just when I remember him doing it all the time and having the shirts and the uh, shoes from Seinfeld. You know, the Jimmy shoes. <laughs> um, he had those, and and we would jump off of you know a low area of a bleacher and do all the um, shock drop stuff you know the original shock plyometrics and Mm -hmm. you know that's like i was probably in the third grade when he started doing a lot of that stuff with my brother and i and uh i don't know how he like you know got into the soviet block and learned all that whereas the wall was falling but he managed to do it somehow (laughs) just a weird guy too so we're both very strange and eccentric people and um you kind of we kind of get obsessed with something typically it's a good thing uh, as far as, you know, I think training teenagers and, and making sure that they're uh, their best and also injury free is probably a positive thing for the, the world, you know. Right. But right. Um, we both get pretty obsessed with weird stuff. So that it just it was always around. 
Um, you know, my, my dad had a little weight room in Miami on a patio with fans, but it was hot as hell out there. Everything was rusted. One of your jobs when you got grounded was you'd have to take the petroleum jelly and wipe down all the rusted plates and then paint over them. Um, you know, just little stuff like that. So I was around it all the time. Right. Uh, you know, my dad with his little stopwatch and, you know, when I coached, I always had a stopwatch instead of a, a watch on my wrist or a phone or anything just to keep the time, but also timing different stuff or, you know, whatever. I don't know. It was just one of those things I was carrying around. And then, you know, that became a big thing. And then it sort of was like in the back burner. You know, I was kind of a fat kid. I didn't really like doing all the running and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and lifting weights was never that big for me. I did it but because you know, that's just what we did in my house. But even my mom right. lifted weights, right? Like everybody in my house would work out. My aunt, my, you know, other aunt, my uncle, like it was just one of those things, a lot of people in the military. And so that was a little more uh, common, maybe the most households. Um, and then, you know, when I was coaching, it was just a way to stay involved, even when the season wasn't going on. Sure. You know, some people would go away and then, you know, they'd come back. Um, and you hadn't seen, you know, the players hadn't seen them in, in months, right? Uh, you know, from what, November all the way through to almost May right. in Florida. And I found it a way to, to really stay involved once I started coaching. They always need to help in the weight room at these places at 120 guys in the program. Um, you know, luckily, coaches were always really accepting to have me come around. And so then it became sort of that thing. And then it was like, you know, as I became a head coach, you're so focused on scheme and, and roster management and that kind of stuff. And then I figured out, like, you know, our schematically, it's whatever. The reason I thought we were losing was that I wasn't changing uh, the strength and conditioning program and modernizing it. Mm-hmm. And so I got really obsessed with how to make us faster um, all around. You know, we had like one guy running a sub five out of 30 guys. And it was right. like, well, we're not going to win this way. So then it just sort of like evolved in different ways. I was always around as a kid. It was a good way for me as a 19, 20 year old coach to sort of be involved year round, have something to do. I was bored, you know, and then and wanted to be involved um, and, and show that I was uh, reliable. Mm-hmm. And then it became more of a like obsession. And then I started really getting into my own training as opposed to, again, just doing it because it's what I always did. It became, well, I'm going to try all this stuff before we do it. Right. I'm going to do Dale basket speed work. I'm going to do curve sprinting. I'm going to try all these change of direction drills um, and agility drills. And I'm going to, you know, do eccentrics and isometrics. And then it just, you know, it just kind of snowballed to like an obsession again and a different thing. You know, it went from being obsessed with defense to being obsessed with offense to be, you know, right. like, you know, you get your, your set and then it became strength and conditioning was like where I got obsessed. And then I started to notice, I just, you know, I, I stopped one at the desire to be in an indie period again and again and again for 15 weeks was gone. I did not want to meet on Saturday to watch film. Right. You know, watching grainy ass is a brooder film of, uh, <laughs> you know, some team from, you know, BFE, North Carolina or Oregon or whatever, just got right. to be like taxing. And it was like the part that I'm always interested in doing is the off season program where everybody else is like, you know, they get bored with that. I never did. They were ready for the season to start. And I was like, man, I wish you were still banging out this off season program. We didn't have enough weeks. Like I was always really into that part. And it was like, wait a minute. And sometimes you have to, you know, it just dawns on you and it takes, so you're 38 years old, but you know, there you are. Right. And that's, it's, it's funny. That's a lot of, a lot of similarities with your kind of background are, are, are same as mine, because to me, the weight room, I was always a big lifter growing up in college and, or in high school and and college. and, And even 
I remember being in seventh and eighth grade in my parents' basement, and we had like one of those little junky weight sets that my dad got, you know, kind of secondhand because I wanted to be stronger to throw the shot put. Um, and I just fell in love with lifting weights. And when I got to start coaching, that was sort of, again, like you, that was kind of like my way in a little bit, um, was that I could go down there and help with the weight room and, and be involved in that. And I used to be in my, in my youth, because I can say that now, cause I'm an old man. Um, <laughs> I, I used to, I used to, I mean, we used to lift with the kids and, and it was, um, I think it was, you know, it helped build trust a little bit with those guys because they, like you said, they, they see us, you know, they see us doing the same stuff they're doing. And, and I, and I, we felt like if, if they saw us doing it and knew that we were pushing ourselves just as hard as, as they should be, that they would push themselves a little bit harder. And, and it, you know, it, 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 it helped, it helped make faster teams. It helped make stronger teams. It helped make better, better teams because there was that buy-in down, you know, in the weight room, so to speak. Um, and it was just, it's just, again, it's something that I've always, I always like to be involved with the, the weight room, the weight program. Um, and I, I don't know why it's, it's, it's just, it's just been, you know, over 20 plus years now where it's just kind of been burned into my brain, I guess. Yeah. And, well, and I think you're right. I think there is a buy-in and I don't think you have to do the exact weight those guys are doing, right? No, like, heck no. I could. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're going to trap bar deadlift 550, you know, in February. And I'm like, you know, I'll do 325, um, you know, that kind of thing. But right. you don't, you're not, I'm not slinging the big weight in front of those guys and I can't do it at all anyway, but I never you know, really could. But um, there was a buy-in, you know, when, when they'd walk into the, at the charter school, my office was the weight room because we just right. didn't have offices and stuff. We just basically met there. So if, you know, you're going to have a piece of pizza after the game, you know, with the coaching staff, we all had our pizza, um, you know, in adult waters in the weight room. When, right. uh, you know, a parent wanted to come talk, unless it was during the school day where I had my little dean's office. Other than that, it was in the weight room. Like, you pull up a chair, you know, sure, we use this chair for a, a, a Bulgarian split squat. But, you know, here, come and sit down, you know, or you have to sit on a plyo box or something. Right. But it, it was, uh, you know, yeah, it, it just became what we did. And it was a big part of, of the program. And, you know, I think kind of lost myself there. But, you know, I, yeah, I think I think it is a, a way to get buy-in from the guys, right? Like, it, they'd come in and they'd see me sweating. And it was a Wednesday early release day. So then, you know, I was in there after practice lifting weights or before practice getting a workout in real fast. And they'd see you. So at least you were doing it. Right. You know, right. You're right, doing yeah. it. You're, they they know that you're not giving them anything you wouldn't do, and I think right. that's really important in life is to never prescribe to somebody else in anything something that you would never do for yourself. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and again, it's 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 that camaraderie piece that we're you know the hangout spot where because I can remember us doing the same thing where it would be just kind of you know here we are you know a lot of times like you said the offices or someone's office is down there or something there's a room a classroom or something near it where that's just kind of where you hung out after after a game after a practice and kids felt comfortable and that was always to me that was always special that kids could feel feel that comfort level um going in there so that's awesome um you know you kind of touched on a little bit um with 
the indie periods and not wanted to do that anymore. Is that, is that, you know, the main reason why you kind of got into the private strength and conditioning, uh, so to speak, or was it just, you wanted to branch out a little bit and be, be more involved in sports, not, you know, other sports than football. Um, you know, what was kind of the, the mindset in, in, in starting your own, your own company and doing your own thing with, um, with, uh, males and females. Yeah. I started my own little thing. It didn't work out that well. It's hard to get, you know, people when you don't have a space and I'm still a teacher. So, you know, my Monday through Friday is pretty occupied from, you know, six 30 in the morning until three o'clock in the afternoon. And so that didn't work out that well. You had a couple people here or there, but nothing consistent. Um, you know, and then I, I, I got very, I really believe in luck. It was timing and preparation. My dad always said that timing and preparation. He probably doesn't even remember him saying that, but you know, he's 70 something years old, but he used to say it to us all the time. There is no luck. There is no luck. You, you make the situation from what it is, you know, create your own fate sort of thing. And so the timing and preparation was there, you know, like when I was getting started trying to do kind of my own thing, I reached out to somebody that I had stumbled upon literally on, you know, Instagram, I guess, or, or Google or something. Uh, Aaron Bratcher. And um, I just, you know, I looked at 10 different area people, people's, uh, you know, social media. And I was like, this is the one that aligns to me, right? right? Like socially, um, the perspective that it was always about the players, or the athletes, whatever you want to say, it wasn't, you know, a focus on her, um, even though she's like a freaking ridiculous, you know, former professional basketball player and stuff. It wasn't on her that, right? Um, that's more of a flex that you only get when you know her real well. And then, you know, she beats you at everything you do, right. um, in, including uh, human-sized uh, hungry hippos. Can't beat her at anything. Um, but, <laughs> you know, and and I, I reached out to her, and I didn't know that her <laughs> business was really new. And it, to me, she'd been doing it for 10 years, right? Like, she was so good, and it was all so done so well. I had no idea it was new. So then she was, ah, I'm really just kind of busy. And almost a year later, she just randomly reached out to me and said, are you still interested in coming up here? Because I need some help and yada, yada. And I went in and it was like, done. Like, I just love the vibe. You know, sometimes in a, a, you can feel it when you're around an atmosphere and you're like, I like what's going on here. You know, right. like, I like how you talk to the players, you know, and the athletes. And I like how you carry yourself. I like what you have to say about stuff. And I could look at the stuff on the wall. You know, I'm like real, I'm, I'm going to read it all before I walk in the room or on the way in sort of thing. And just just her entire, you know, again, the, the way she carried herself. And it was like, this is going to be really good. And I have always thought, and I, I mean, I think everyone probably thinks this, that female athletes are very underrepresented in a high school strength and conditioning setting. Mm -hmm. um, there are some people that do an awesome job with it. Um, and they, God bless them, you know, like, because they do an awesome job with it. And then there are places that it is 0%. Um, and you know, the doors barely even open. And so when I was at Cornerstone and at Willamina, I kept trying to get female athletes in, you know, talk to the coaches, some sports was hit, some sports was missed. And then, you know, at different schools I've been to, it's been almost nothing. Right. And you know, the opportunity, you know, when you work with female athletes, they haven't usually been exposed to Uncle Roscoe at the YMCA as much. And so there isn't the machismo one rep max, you know, obsession mixed in with the bad technique. And they're typically very hardworking, dedicated because they're more mature biologically. Right. And so when you talk to them, you're like, this is just so easy to work with you. 
So when I worked with the volleyball players at Old Miles, I was like, wow, you four or five girls are so dedicated. And that's a small place. So there was probably eight girls on the team. We had more than half usually at a workout. And then it was so dedicated, so involved, and they loved it, and they were willing to learn. You're like, wow, compared to, well, my Uncle Roscoe told me, you know, dude, 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 I'm supposed to put my feet in the air when I bench press, like right. all this other stuff. <laughs> and you're like, oh, like just the arguments went away, and the dedication rose, and the intelligence was there, and the social aspect was more positive. Mm-hmm. You're like, man, this is just so easy. So luckily, Aaron, you know, and again, I don't really believe in looks timing preparation. You know, Aaron reached out to me and I was ready. to. Timing was right. Football was over. I was ready to do it. I was dying for something to do and work with more kids in a different setting because classroom is a classroom. Mm-hmm. And I like it to, to some degree and there's ups and downs, but there's nothing like sweating together and working out. Right. Like so, you know, that just kind of pushed me towards that route when I was trying. I would offer I would I would contact every single person that posted a P job and say, or even a business job and say, I want to work with your athletes that aren't represented in the weight room mm-hmm. after school, after school, find a stipend, find an assistant. And I got to get paid because I plan to be certified and everything I'm doing. And it costs money. Right. So just, you know, I, I want to buy equipment and it's going to cost money. And you know, really you're going to get all the, all the money you pay me, you're going to get back. Right. But I need some of it just to just shoot, to buy new shoes, right. To, to buy a t-shirt or whatever. And so, you know, you'd, I'd reach out and nobody ever was, you know, eh, we don't really do that here. No, it's not how we're going to do it. We just do it in school. After school is for football. And it was like, man, you know, I, I couldn't get this thing going. And so, um, you know, again, it all just sort of worked out that, you know, Aaron needed uh, a slappy and I'm a willing slappy. And so <laughs> I will, you know, again, wash the towels and wipe down the equipment and be there when you don't want to. And, you know, all that kind of stuff, as long as I obviously can. And so that's kind of how it it sort of evolved is I wanted to get into doing strength and conditioning more. It was always going to be, well, we need you to coach some football position. But then I was never, you know, it was always on this line, guys of, okay, we'll bring you in to do some weight training. Oh, but that's for the head coach. Right. And that always fell apart. Right. And I was like, you know, I'm never going to get the experience I need by coaching football too. Right. Well, and, 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 and like you said, you're, you know, you're always sort of at the the mercy of the head coach where, you know, if you want to do X, but he wants to do Y, well, you're, you're screwed because, you know, you're not gonna, despite the science, despite, uh, you know, the, the, the knowledge you have, you're still, again, you're, you're at the mercy of the head coach who wants to do what he wants to do. Yeah, no, just, and, and that's a great point. Despite the science, right. You could bring some people and not all people, but some people, Five books, ten articles, five videos, a whole dang coach tube class, whatever you've got. You can summarize it all into charts and say, this is how these five people are doing it. And this is mm-hmm. their background. And then I went through this three certifications and blah, 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 blah. And this is where it's leading. And they'll go, I ain't going to make them tough now. Right. And you're like, oh, <laughs> hey, like, how am I getting into the mental toughness conversation? No matter what science you bring, allegedly – doing what Dr. Rhea does or what Cal Deeds does or Kurt Esther does isn't quote-unquote tough. And you're like, really? Tulane just won all those games, and Alabama was great with Dr. Rhea was there, and Cal Deeds is the freaking hockey god, and and you're like, and you're telling me those guys don't have mental toughness in their programs? Like, come on now. But whatever, you know, there really are two types of people, people that are never going to move their opinion and people that will at least hear you out. Mm Mm-hmm. 
They may not. Yeah. They, I mean, everything you sell may not even be true, right? I don't try to dabble in absolutes very much, but there are people that will hear you out and they'll at least listen to you and bring it in. And I hear you, but they'll listen to you and they'll adopt it and they'll work with you. And then there's people that are like, nah, this isn't how it works. Right. Like, all right, well, the person that says no, I'm you might as well quit then. You're never going to convince them. Right. The person that at least will hear you out and you can see the wheels spinning, now you've at least got them on the line to sort of change some of these, you know, uh, preconceived notions about the value of absolute strength or the value of doing 15 100s or whatever it is that doesn't make scientific sense. Well, and it's, it's it, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about even my own my own experience as a, as a player and a coach and, and how, how different the old school mentality a little bit. And I'm sure you've dealt with that and I'm sure you've changed yourself, but I mean, I can remember my senior year of high school and I'm, I'm dating myself here. It was um, 1998, uh, 1998, 99. And we did six sets of 10 for everything, everything. And I mean, we'd be in the way. That's yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah, we'd be in the. I mean, we'd be in the weight room after school from three thirty to five thirty. I mean, for and and working oh, yeah, the wow. entire time, and and so you know, even when I got started coaching, that was still sort of the mentality that that some guys had, and and we still followed that a little bit. You know, not to a T, but but somewhat. And it took it took someone different coming in and and changing it, and and you know, I can remember. We can. I'm. I'm. I'm on a my soapbox now a little bit. Uh, we'll get back. We'll get back to you. I promise. Um, <laughs> That's fine. I can remember in in 2009 was the last year we sort of followed this old school program, and and we had shoulder injuries, and we had soft tissue injuries, and we had, I mean, like four kids that had shoulder surgery or or tore something, um, and we completely revamped the next year, and we went from four surgeries to zero um and and you know had our best season in school history and it, it just took changing changing our mindset a little bit in the weight room and becoming a little bit more athletic movements as opposed to like i said the six sets of ten of stuff and and, and you know it's it's i'm sure if you look back at the things you were doing back in you know 20 plus years ago when you first started you probably are saying what the, what the hell was i thinking um, because oh God. It's, it's adapted so much and it's changed so much in, in the time. Yeah. we So, yeah, I would say the big move for me was 2014 or so. Um, you know, we had a guy that I had coached when he was in high school, wanted to get into coaching. God bless his soul. And uh, he gets in and, and we bring him into the charter school. And I'm like, man, I need all the help I can get. Like, this is the place with three coaches, like mm -hmm. me included. So you're going to, you know, you're going to be a weight room guy. I don't care. And we started to go to more and more. And in a sense, we used the Glacier Clinic for strength and conditioning and like kicking game. And we were using the internet, like, you know, smart football, stuff like that for right. schematic stuff. Like not entirely, but this, the, the, the shift was starting to happen because we didn't have, Again, we had one guy running sub five. We had, and not the, the 40s, the be all and end all, but it, I mean, come on now. It's, it's got its merit, right? Right. In, in, in ways. Um, and so I'm a little more into, into the fly tens and twenties, but you know, that the 40 has its merit. So you would get, because everybody knows that as a universal number, you know, so it's easier to talk to parents about. And 
we were just like, man, we're just not good. You know, what are we going to do? And we, Steve Kenyon was talking. He's a very bright guy. And a lot of his stuff burned, you know, got me going. And then I started doing all of it because I'm always going to do it to me. Right. And make sure it's, it's at least, co- and again, like you said, if, if I'm older, you know, 40 and I do it and I'm not sore, it's more than likely not going to make anyone besides a brand new person sore. Like right. almost any damn thing can make me sore. Um, you know, I did lateral lunges the other day and I'd only taken like three weeks off of them, did them, and I couldn't even walk up the stairs. So everything's going to make me sore for two days, but these young guys, you know, they'll be fine. But for the most part, but unless they're brand new. So you're like, okay, I'm not sore. And and I saw how it worked. Now I can coach it and I feel like I can feel it out. And, you know, so I did a lot of Steve Kane stuff and I was like, I see where parts of this make sense and parts of this I'm not really in agreement with, but then we were still slow uh we just weren't as injured like you said we were you know we were still doing the circuits so it was you know we're gonna do ladder drills over here and then go over and then you're gonna run over there and you're gonna drag a sandbag and then you're gonna run over here and you're gonna whatever and then it was then i met uh joe daniel turned me on to dale basket and so i started reading up on dale and i was like oh he's a guy from american football monthly which i always got and read mm-hmm. it was my poolside reading right and, um, you know, then I, then I was like, I got to meet this guy. None of this shit makes sense unless you actually talk to him. It makes no sense. Right. So then I, I, you know, brought him in and probably paid a fortune to bring him in, you know, in our world. Cause we didn't have very much money in that program and, uh, flew him from San Diego. And it was like, wow, this light bulb went on and you call for you what you want. But we went from one guy under a five to 12 and that's out of 30 guys. And then another six or seven were under five one, and those were guys. Some of them were running a five nine to a four nine. Uh, in eighteen months, we dropped the guy from a five nine to a four nine. Right, and and it was a quarterback, and you know he went to a six a big school, you know three thousand kids, and then he came back to us uh, for high school, you know for his sophomore year, and he was just you could out of shape, and we were like we're going to get a hold of this guy. And again, drop, dropped him a second. And he went from running for, you know, one yard per carry to, you know, five. Right. And it, that that's a sh- obviously a huge damn difference. And so that that season, but it also, Dale changed our mentality on a lot of stuff. And I got into a Glazier clinic. We'd see this old school wing T guy from West Virginia that I wish I still knew his name because he really changed <laughs> a lot for us too. And uh, he was all about practicing in, in volleyball knee pads and shorts. And that married to the Dale mentality of taking care of these guys and not overdoing it. And so then I was like, you know what? And I used to, I forced Joe to kind of do this 90 minute practices. We're no longer going to stay out here and die in the heat, especially in Florida. And we started putting up tents to hide under for practice. And the water was underneath the tents. You took your water break in the shade. And it was like, we're going to treat these guys really, really good and better than how I treat myself. Right. And so I would stand it out in the damn sun like an idiot, just show them you're getting better than I am, which was dumb. But <laughs> we do stuff like that just to say you're getting it better than I am, and I drink the same water you drink, you know, and mine doesn't have, you know, isn't that any different than yours, and I eat the same meals you eat and all that kind of stuff. So it was I'm going to do this again. I'm gonna never going to ask you to do something I wouldn't do, and I'm going to try to give it better than you than I have it. And we got really into that. And even when we did it, we always, you know, sprinted first we go in the weight room and they would get 15 minutes in the air conditioning and the shade to lay down and throw out some granola bars and get out some Gatorades and stuff. And then, okay, we're going to come in. Our lifts were shorter. Our speed work was obviously actual speed work, not BS. 
we started curve sprinting. We started doing real agility training versus just COD cone stuff. Right. And it was growing and growing and growing. Um, you know, and it, it really took that turn, like you said, and then boom, we went seven and four and they haven't won that many games there since. Right. You know, and, and we went five and five on the meet on the grinded out way. Then we dropped a two and seven or eight. And then we went seven and four. We completely adopted the, you know, more scientific model. And I was still an idiot and didn't know everything, but I could still do the what, uh, I got why, and I could do the what, I just didn't really understand how it all went together. Right. But I, I could do the how enough of an agenda to follow the program perfectly. And now I don't do it exactly how Dale did. He killed me for saying that, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's all been manipulated in a sense, but you know, that, that changed everything. I mean, like you said, soft tissue injuries. I mean, I remember, I think, I think every single person that started that played in our first game was dressed for our last game. That's awesome. All those weeks later, and we only had the 30 guys and only 18 saw the field. You know, a lot of young guys didn't play a ton. But, you know, we rode those 18 guys, but, you know, we, we didn't practice a long time. It was like, you know, 90, 90, 60, 40, and that was it. And then we played on Friday. Right. No, that's that awesome. That. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. It's, it's. I mean, it, it really is. There's such such science to it. And, and the guys that – the coaches that – that know it. And I mean, you're going to, you're not always going to be able to, to get what you want out of everybody. But, um, you know, if you understand it and can, can teach it and coach it, then you'll, you'll, you'll see results where you, where you need to see results. So, um, that's awesome. Um, well, coach, I don't want to keep you too long, but I got one more question for you. And this is one I give everybody, um, a little bit back to football based, uh, based questions, but, um, if you could build a Mount Rushmore of offensive linemen, uh, from guys you coached, guys you played with, or maybe guys you were just a fan of, who would be on that five-man offensive line? Oh, man. Um, yeah, like the guys – I made a Germani Dawson reference one time. Oh, nice. That, that only me and, of course, the other you know, 30-, 40-year-old coach understood. <laughs> uh, but that was like one of my guys growing up. You know, I was a huge Keith Sims fan for the Dolphins. Um, it was my guy, like I, you know, I wore 69 without having any mental fortitude to understand that that probably wasn't an appropriate number to wear when you're 13. <laughs> uh, but I was hell bent on doing it. And then they would always stick me in a different number on the day of the game, no matter what I asked for. So I made my own practice Jersey with it on there. Um, nice. you know, like I just wanted to be that guy. And I, and you know, my, my dad is, is a uh, hard ass dude, but you know, like the thing that he was good at was manipulating you psychologically to do the thing that he knew was best for you. And you thought you didn't realize you were being played. Right. So like he kept convincing me how cool offensive linemen were. So he took me to meet Keith Sims. Um, Cause my dad was a firefighter and he would sneak me. I mean, I'm sure his statute of limitations is over. He would sneak me into the <laughs> orange bowl and had me hang out with all the linemen. So I would meet uh, Kennard Lane and Kenny Holmes and Warren Sapp for the D-line guys. I would meet um, Tim Ruddy, who played center for the Dolphins. Mm -hmm. He played Notre Dame. Keith Sims, Rich Webb. Um, you know, he'd take me to meet those guys. And then, see, like, see, and you want to play offensive line. You see how nice those guys were? You see how cool those guys were? Um, you know, look how big they are. You know, don't you want to be this big, huge dude? And he would convince me that because he knew I wasn't going to play fullback for Nebraska in the, uh, you know, in the I triple, which is my, was my goal, right? Like right. I was in, I was the weirdest kid. My goal was to walk on at Nebraska and be the uh, neck roll wearing 
meathead fullback guy, hey, right? Man. And I was like, I just want to run that trap. And, you know, like I want to be that guy. I was obsessed with with uh, Tommy Frazier and those like Nebraska teams in 94 and 5. And that, that was the guy I wanted to be was the big, you know, meathead fullback we- you and I, you and I, you and I would get along great because my my favorite player, my favorite, I used to love Nebraska and Joel Makovica. Um, yeah, I remember so him. Yep. That was that was my guy. That was the the reason the reason I wore the face mask I wore in football was because of Joel Makovica. And Corey Schlesinger was my guy. Yeah, you know, and he tore up Miami, which was my favorite team. Yeah, but it was one of those like I'm pissed off that my team lost, but at the same time, this was the team I was always watching in awe of too in a different way, you know, was, was, uh, was those Nebraska teams. That's awesome. And so I, you know, I was really into it. And like, at some point I bought everything on Nebraska's, like I used to sit there and watch them run like, like a, like trap, like 75 times in a row on some DVD I got off the internet. Right. <laughs> like I was like obsessed with this shit. And that was just like, to me, that was the be all in all spot. My dad kept saying, it's the offensive line, it's offensive line in high school. I went and said, I want to be the fullback and a linebacker. And they immediately stuck me on the offensive line. And it was like, man, you know, I'm always stuck doing this Pop Warner High School, whatever. Right. You know, but in the end, yeah, so, I mean, definitely Sims and Webb were like my guys. Um, You know, I always liked, especially as Miami teams, Brett Romberg just seemed like a cool guy. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, and you're like, man, he's got the hair. I have long hair. You know, he's got the hair. Um, You know, just seems so cool. And you're, you know, kind of like obsessed with that. Whenever you watch somebody, um, Nelson from the Colts that played at Notre Dame, you're always like, man, I, I love to watch him play. So I was always obsessed with some of those, again, those, those same guys. I used to collect, you know, you collect your football cards. I would always go for weird stuff like offensive linemen, you know, and, and the guy at the card store would be like, who in the hell is this kid <laughs> getting like random left tackle or right tackle cards? Like, right. You know, like Lomas Brown. Um you know, I know I haven't really given a a, a, a five man line or anything. No, you're okay. Those were like, yeah, those were those guys. You know, Walter Jones, like the guys that you saw, and you thought, man, I, you know, KC Jones was the guy I really loved at Miami because he wasn't that big. He was like 250 pounds, and I mm-hmm. thought, you know, I could hopefully I could grow, which I didn't, and I'll be 250 pounds, and I could probably do that. And when I used to go to Art Keo's uh, camps before they even called him down and dirty, I don't think they called it that yet. Um, they used to hold them in the orange bowl. It'd be like a thousand degrees in the summer. Uh, he'd be there with all these other fat kids. And he, that guy would talk a thousand miles an hour. And I got the chance to like talk to him for a long time one day and stuff. Um, as an adult, and that was really cool too. But, um, you know, like Art Kehoe, my dad brought me, of course, over to Art Kehoe. And then he would always talk about Tony Wise. And like, you know, my dad was a baseball guy, but he would bring you to all these things, hoping to convince you, like, you're not going to play quarterback you know running back like you need to really get obsessed with this thing and it, it it worked you know like i thought it was the coolest thing and even at coaching when kids would be like no i don't want to play off this line. i was like really like it was such a cool position to me but then you remember oh yeah i got like psychologically manipulated into right this. <laughs> this was not a uh normal kid thing to like want to be a, a left guard for the dolphins or something right never yeah no you're right it, it's uh it's we never we we're never we never want to do it, but then once we do, it's we we fall in love with it. So that's uh, that's I think that's what what sets us apart from everybody else. Yeah, and kids just need to really their parents need to be realistic, and and the kids need to give it a chance. And I think you can have a lot of fun doing it, um, especially you know. And and I, oh, as 
a predominantly zone sort of person with some, you know, wrinkling in power here and there. But it is fun to pull, and it's fun mm-hmm. to kick a guy out and and blindside him. You know, that stuff is fun. It's fun to have a screen where the lineman can get out and run. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's important to do just to give them a little taste. Mm-hmm. No, no doubt. It's uh, it's uh, a very special spot. Um, obviously, I've I've got a you know, it's got a, a deep place in my heart. So that's that's great. Um, well, coach, do me a favor. Uh, before we get you out of here, drop your Twitter handle and uh, any other information you want the listeners to know. Yeah, so it's at and then D O T T A V I O. Um, and uh, you know, we're EB Athletics. If you know you're in the North Carolina kind of Raleigh, Wake Foresty, Cary sort of area, we have a lot of, of players from all sports. You know, so again, we do a lot of hockey. Um, you know, NC State women's. Uh, one, you know, we we train them women's hockey teams, club team. We have people at San Diego State, some pros. Um, uh, you know, all all over basically doing that kind of thing. You know, these travel teams are so big here. In North Carolina, right? Um, you know, but also obviously, I got a, a a guy that thinks he's a defensive end, but I keep telling him he's a, an offensive tackle. He's blatantly <laughs> an offensive tackle, but he's a, a kid six five, like two thirty already. Uh, he's fifteen, and so you know, we're working with him, and so a lot of the stuff you can see, I try to put educational material in a sense out there, you know, and so it's not per se behind a paywall, if you will, but you know, mm-hmm. it's educational type stuff. So check that out. Instagram is the same thing, Coach Fabio, and uh, it's it's they're pretty similar accounts as far as what gets posted. But gotcha. You know, it's whatever you're in the whatever I'm in the mood for at the time to put more onto. But you know, a lot of it's basically back and forth. But we do rugby, which is very similar to football, obviously in a lot of ways. Um, you know, so we get a lot of different sports. But you know, in the end, is any lifting that sport specific? No, is linear speed training sports fit? No, is curve spring that sport specific? No. You know, down to the agility stuff. And we try to, I personally try to avoid doing too much football, football with any of those guys that come in for football. Um, you know, that's your position coach's job. Right. Uh, you, you know, yeah, we do curve spring. Yes, we do some change of direction, agility stuff. We do some contact prep, but it's not football, football. You know, it's, it's contact prep. Like I try sure. to avoid doing that and being the asshole that nobody likes, who is the <laughs> private instructor guy that tells you, well, I would, you know, pull this way. Like I try to get away from all that. Unless if I was hired specifically to do that, I would do it, but I'm not I'm hired to do your strength coach. And that's who I'm going to be. So, right. you know, it's very all sports oriented in a sense. No, I got you. That's awesome. Well, I, I hopefully, hopefully you guys can uh, check that out and give them a follow on Twitter and uh coach. I appreciate you coming on and, Enjoy that that nice weather while we uh, while we get buried in ice and snow here in Wisconsin. And uh, I look forward to talking with you again soon. Yeah, I'm smoking a cigar, so I'll do my best. Nice. All <laughs> right. Well, take care, and we'll talk later. All right. Thank you. Bye. The Hog Football Podcast is brought to you by the online clinic at Chief Pigskin. The online clinic by Chief Pigskin is a collection of coaching content from over a decade of travels from a high school coach. With video quality that is unmatched, you should check them out at clinic.chiefpigskin.com.